So it's not so much, the way I should think about this, it's not so much that that my wife, Rachel, did this thing that's not right or didn't do this thing that is right. And that's what set me off. James says, I should think of that as I have a desire that's not being met. And that is what sets me off. And that's important to understand. Even when the other person is wrong, the war that's waging inside of my body is what causes me to get in to a conflict. When my desires are frustrated, when, when you don't get what you want, that's the way we should think about our conflicts. Why? Because of what James says next. Because. Once we get there, you desire something that you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious. You see something out there you wish you had that somebody else has and you can't get it. That's why you fight and quarrel. Again, this is another place where your, your translation might use the word lust. You shouldn't read this and think, well, I'm not obvious. I'm not out here looking for other physical partners, so this isn't about me. Listen, this is totally about you. Okay, this is part of the human condition. It's about all of us. It's about me. And what James says first, we'll just look at the first clause in this verse. You desire and you do not have, so you what? You commit murder. Now that seems like a stretch, doesn't it? I mean, this can't be about me. I would never actually kill anybody. Do you think that was the, the real problem in the church that James was writing to? <laughs> Let me tell you why everybody's winding up dead around your church. I don't think that's what he means. But James means one of a couple different things. And this is a common theme throughout the New, the New Testament. Jesus talked about this. John talked about this. In the Sermon on the Mount, James' half-brother Jesus he, he once wrote this, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago in the law, in the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not murder. Right? And anyone who murders, you think, that's who's subject to judgment. And so, you think, I've never actually killed anyone, so I'm innocent according to that commandment. But Jesus says, But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject, subject to judgment according to that commandment. John, James, excuse me, Jesus's best friend, if he had one, he wrote it this way, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. This concept, James writes about it today, Jesus and John write about it also. This concept, it goes something like this. When I, there's something I want that desire gets frustrated. The person I feel is responsible for my frustrated desire, I jump on a road with them and I cannot control where it goes. It is the road that leads many times to actual, literal murder. It seems funny when I talk about like 
I would never, we wouldn't actually kill anybody. I could, we, we smile. But listen, do you know this is where murders come from? By this point, we have consumed enough true crime, right? We have listened to enough podcasts and read enough books and seen enough TV shows about real murders. And you know how among people who know each other, relationships that went so badly, someone wound up dead. Do you know what happened? This. If we could go back in time, the last one you watched, and there's that, that spouse who killed the other spouse. If we could go back far enough in time, we would find that person was married and all of a sudden they realized this person is not fulfilling the desires I had. If we could stop right then at the very beginning and ask that person, hey, you think I know a solution? Why don't you kill them? They would go, that's ridiculous. I would never do that. And they would be answering honestly. But when our desires are what's in control of our life, and when someone else becomes the reason my desires are frustrated, James says, I get on a path that I cannot control where it goes. It's like the seeds of murder are already in my heart. I may be able to keep pruning to where I don't actually murder. And there's, that path has a million different off-ramps. And maybe I can get off of it before I actually go that far. But it's like the same raw materials that are in there. One Christmas many, many years ago in 1997... I asked Rachel to marry me. In a weak moment, she said yes, and I made her stick to it. <laughs> I was so happy. And, and that night, I would have never guessed there would ever come a point where I would say some of the things to her that I have said to her. That I would do some of the things that hurt her that I have done. And she would say the same thing back to me. Do you know what changed? We both had desires. We expected the other one to fulfill. And when that didn't happen, we got on this path that leads where we cannot predict. When we focus, when the focus of my life, in my honest moments, when the focus of my life are all the ways my desires are not being met, rather than focusing on who I am in Christ, what He has done for me, what He has put me here for, The result of that will look like this. You desire, you don't have, and so you commit murder.
guy named Max Perkins, you probably never heard the name. He was a, he was a superstar a hundred years ago. Uh, he was an editor that discovered writers like F. Scott Fitzgerald, Ernest Hemingway. Sorry, I was an English teacher. It's where some of my stories go. I don't even know if Max Perkins was a Christian, but he said something that I've always thought about. He, he said this about some world leaders who were coming into power doing some terrible things. But he said this, One of my deepest convictions is that the terrible harms that are done in this world are not done by deliberately evil people. They're done by the good. They're done by people who are so sure, right, that they're right, that God is with them, that nothing can stop them because they're certain they are right. Man, that's us. When my desires are not bad desires, and I can point to the person who is causing that desire, I think, to be unfulfilled, I can justify all kinds of things that God hates. On the second part of verse 2, James says this. He's trying to hammer home the same point. He says, you're envious and you cannot obtain, so that's why you fight and quarrel. Let me ask a seemingly unrelated question. Why is thou shalt not covet the Tenth Commandment? Why did that one make the list? You ever think about that? The Ten Commandments make a lot of sense. I mean, if you throw out that weird Sabbath thing, we can talk about it later. The rest of them, like if you were making the Ten Commandments, right? God gave you the pen. Wouldn't you have things like, you know, we probably shouldn't kill each other, so we'll write that one in, thou shalt not murder, right? Adultery is probably bad. I get that one, thou shalt not commit adultery. Probably shouldn't steal stuff, thou shalt not steal, right? Lying, right? God wrote it, idolatry is probably, all of it makes sense. Then you get to number 10, and it says, thou shalt not covet. You know what coveting is? It's just wanting something you don't have. It's about the most natural human thing ever. Why is that one in the list? What's the big deal if I want something I don't have? You know why I made the list? God understands the big deal about coveting is this. As soon as I get focused on what I don't have, that's what opens the door for me to break all the rest of the commandments. Whoever killed somebody that didn't have an unsatisfied desire first? You don't lie if you don't have some unsatisfied, frustrated desire. You don't steal. You don't do any of the rest of them. Unless we start by the focus of what I'm not getting that I want and need. We look around and we see somebody else that has that which I want it just makes it worse and worse. At this point in his commentary on James, Warren Wearsby wrote something I thought was so good, I just, want to, I just want to read it with you. Not my words, Warren Wearsby's. He says, people who are at war within themselves because of selfish desires are always unhappy people. They never enjoy life. Instead of being thankful for the blessings they do have, they complain about blessings they do not have. They cannot get along with other people because they're always envying others for what they have and what they do. They're always looking for that magic something that will change their lives when the real problem 
is within their own hearts. Other people have enough blank to feel okay. They're loved well enough. They're respected. They're impressive. They're wealthy enough. They're whatever. But not me. This is a universal problem. What do we do about this problem? You want a one-word answer? Ask. I know we're like, we're like three-quarters of the way through this sermon. I've been yapping a long time. Okay, so if you've, if you've nodded off, if you've started looking at stuff on your phone, wake back up here. Pay attention. Eyes and ears here, kids. Because I'm about to tell you something you've wanted to know your whole life. I'm going to tell you something you've wanted to know your whole marriage, your whole career. I'm about to tell you what will fulfill all of your desires. You want to know what will fill all your desires? God. All of your unmet desires, every desire you've ever had can be met by God. And James says at the end of this passage, if you're controlled by unmet desires, if you really honestly think, man, the controlling drive, what I think about, what drives my conversations, my behaviors are my unmet desires. James says, you have one of two problems with God. Either one, you do not have your desires met because you don't even ask God Or two, you do ask, but you're asking for something in a way that God doesn't do business. Now let's talk through, think through these just a little bit. How could it be true that I have desires that are unmet and I'm a Christian and I don't even ask God to fulfill these desires? Why might that be true? A couple reasons. One, I may have desires that I know God ain't in the business of uh, fulfilling. So I, that might keep me from asking God because I know that ain't the way he works. So I don't ask. Or I may, not, I have, I may have unfulfilled desires and I don't ask God because I don't want God to fulfill those desires. Don't poo-poo that one away. It's truer than you think. Let me say it again. You may have unfulfilled desires that you do not ask God to fulfill because you do not want God to fulfill that desire. This is a common problem. I would never tell you that your unfulfilled desires are actually fulfilled. James wouldn't tell you that. God wouldn't tell you that. I wouldn't tell you you are imagining your unmet desires. But I might tell you that you are asking something to fulfill those desires 
that God does not want to fulfill your desires. Maybe you don't go ask God to fulfill that desire because you don't want God to be what fulfills that desire. Because I have a desire to be significant. And I've been in church long enough to know that my significance actually lies in being created in the image of God. My significance actually lies in the fact that God was willing to die for me. But in my honest moments, I might admit, I don't want that to be my significance. I want to be awesome at this. I want to be impressive because of that. Or you might have a desire to be cherished, to be accepted. Maybe we don't go to God and talk to Him about those desires because I don't want God to fulfill those. I know I am cherished because the blood of Jesus Christ covers me. I've been adopted by the God of the universe and I am His and He is mine. And He cherished me so much, He died for me. But maybe I don't talk to God about that desire because I don't want it to be fulfilled that way. I want that person to cherish me. I want those people to accept me. We've talked about this before, recently. But all of our desires are ultimately desires for God. Do you know that? Behind all of our desires, the foundation of all our desires, we desire safety, security, hope, joy. We desire to be loved, to have someone to love. We strip all of our desires down, even the sinful ones, and we will find they are a, we have that desire because it's supposed to drive me toward the only one who can fulfill my desire. And what James wants us to know is what causes your conflicts is your unfulfilled desires. And the reason, oh Christian, you still have these desires that are running your life is because you're trying to get them filled something with something that won't fill it. Listen, I wanted to be loved and be significant. But our desires are insatiable. And when I asked Rachel to be what made me feel significant, special, all those things, I was asking her to do something that, was, that she could not do. Now, can God use her to deliver some of the things he wants to deliver? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we either don't ask because we don't want God to fulfill it, or we do ask, but we're asking for stuff that God knows is less than how he wants to and how he promises to fulfill all of our desires. In fact, when God gives us those other desires, it's that's his discipline. It's his wrath. He turns us over to those things. Oh, you think that will make you happy? Okay. I'll be here when that burns down. 
All our desires really only can be met in him and by him. Now, the frustrating part about this passage, James tells us where our, where our conflicts come from, these unmet desires that are within us, that are insatiable, but he doesn't tell us, he tells us we, they're that way because we're not asking the right source, but he really doesn't tell us what to do. But I think we've got enough to kind of discern some next steps. Thinking about our conflicts, our arguments, and our desires. And we'll end with this. First, I think we need to start discussing our conflicts in terms of the desire I have that's not being met. If what James says is true, if my conflict, my, he uses the word war, my quarrels, my part in that is actually because there's some desire in me that's not being met, that's what I need to be discussing. Not the list of crimes against this other person. But the desire I have that's not being met. Think we could do that? Second, then I think we should be talking to God about our desires. If the person I'm in conflict with is another Christian, if it's my spouse, we should talk to him together. God, here is the desire that I really have that, that, that is unmet. Let's stop making the mistake that James says, man, you don't have because you're not even asking. Third, when we get that far, we can begin to compare in just gut level honesty before the Lord. How is it I'm trying to get that desire satisfied? And how does God promise to satisfy it? Because they're probably not the same thing. And then fourth, if, this is, if you're in a conflict with someone that you are close to, a brother, a spouse, right, a brother or sister in the, in the metaphorical sense, maybe I should focus on how God meets my desire so that I can be a desire meter. Maybe I can look and listen to the root desires of the other person. And maybe my focus, instead of being on all of my desires that are not met, I'm working to get those met through Christ so that I'm so full I can deliver. I can be a deliverer of hope and peace and encouragement and joy. Maybe I can be someone who God uses to give rather than focus on everything that I am not receiving. And finally, if all that seems impossible, then maybe number five, maybe I need to admit that I have killed somebody in my heart. I'm so on that road that leads to murder that that person is sort of dead to me. They're, they've become unworthy to give, to receive love, care, the end just for room on the screen. I just said, repent of that. But that takes some hard work. Now, the scene of our passage. You can go ahead and close your Bibles up. You can put your notes away. Because we're going to transition to the table. But we're going to do that using the end of our sermon here. 
about to ask a question that everybody can answer correctly. So if you've never answered a question correctly, get ready. This is your time. Who do you suppose is our example for this passage? Oh, come on. Who do you suppose is our example of even this passage? Jesus. Did he have desires? Yes. Did he have a body? Yes. At the very end of his life, he even had, he had desires, but he became very concerned were not going to be met. Like, I have a desire for safety. I have a desire to not have physical pain. I have a desire to not be separated from the Father. So, what did he do? He understood, number one, that his problem was a desire in him that was not being met. So what did he do? He went straight to the Father. He fell down in Gethsemane. Oh, Father, if there is any other way, can we do that? He just, he just wanted his desires met. It's okay to go and take your unmet desires to the Father. Jesus did it. But he said, number three, compare how I want to satisfy my desires and how God does. But not my will be done, but yours. Was there a difference between how Jesus' own flesh wanted to meet his desire for safety and security and how the Father wanted to meet his ultimate desires for safety and security. Yes, so not my will be done, but yours. Did he look at any other party's desires and see how he might address those? You better believe it. And we were that other party. As he looks down the barrel of the cross and he doesn't want to do it, he still thinks, but how can I serve the people who are going to nail me there? And number five wasn't a problem for our Lord. He went to the cross because he refused. He did not want to kill all of us, not only in his heart, but eternally. So what we talked about today is really difficult, but we've seen it in action. It's why we're here this morning. As the men come forward to help pass out the bread, pray with me, if you would. Our Father, we are so grateful that we have seen today's passage in action in the person of the Lord Jesus. He is, he really is the perfecter of our faith. Father, you know our unmet desires and you have promised to meet them. As the bread comes around, Lord, I just pray that uh, maybe you'll help us look up on the screen at those five things and just see where we are at in those things and compare them to how Jesus behaved when his desires were not met. And that you would meet with us in your word and, and at the table this morning. In Christ's name, amen.
The night that uh, Jesus was betrayed, all the soldiers were on their way. He was in the garden and he prayed saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. He came and he found his disciples sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. He left them again and went away and prayed, even a third time, saying the same thing once more. My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Unfulfilled desire compared to how the father has decided to fulfill his desires and the father's wins for our good, for his ultimate good, in spite of incredible discomfort in the middle. He is our savior, but he is also our example. And so we do this as we remember him. Father, as the cup comes around and we we sing or we continue to pray and and think, uh, just thank you for the example of Christ, but for the blood that was shed, because we cannot follow that example. Commune with us in, in Christ's name. Amen. It came upon the midnight clear that glorious Jesus, the love song of God. God will meet all our needs in Christ. That same night he was betrayed, Jesus praying to his father said this, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. That's where our love needs get met. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, Yet I have known you, and these have known that have known you, that you sent me. I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them. We have real needs, and we have a real God who is a need meter. We do this in remembrance of him.